Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. We come to the Word of God today, and we come to a section of Scripture uh, that we started last week. Uh, we're in a, in a short sermon series here on uh, Romans chapter 6 through 8. Last week, I, I started this, this sermon by asking a question, are we, are we striving for holiness? Are we striving for holiness? Are we striving for godliness? Are we striving to be men and women who worship God with our lives uh, in obedience, living holy lives, righteous lives before Him? And, and the sermon basically came to the point of, we should. We should live for Christ. We should live for God. We should strive for holiness. We should be a godly people. Today I bring a different question to you as we move through this text. Can we be a godly people? Can we be a holy people? In this environment we live in, 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 our, in our brokenness, in, in our, our daily struggles, can we be righteous people? What does God expect of us? Can we be a godly people, even us? Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, we're not going to get all through, all through chapter 8 today, but uh, we're going to move quickly, but I think you'll see what God says here and uh, call you to, to ponder the, the idea, the, the concept that you could be living a holy life. Chapter 7, verse 1, or do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law. The law is binding only on a person as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So he's giving an analogy, a picture of a woman's husband who dies that sets her free from that marriage. Likewise, likewise, my brothers, you who have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, or that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now that we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So pause there with me for a moment. Is, is this is obviously something we're entering into an argument. We're entering into a discussion about what? About keeping the law. Uh, in, in chapter 5, what we sang today about uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5 in, in the book of Romans, what, what Eric read, what we, what we discuss in the songs, is that we've been saved by Jesus Christ. We've been 
justified in Christ. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We've been made new people. We're not condemned. We've been set free. We're under grace. We're not under works anymore. We're not trying to save ourselves through the keeping of the law. We're not trying to get holier and holier by keeping of the law. We are uh, we're gods now. Praise God. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But he comes into this argument in chapter 6. Uh, he wanted us to know that this union with Christ, when we came to Christ, we became united with Christ. And so before we came into Jesus Christ, before we were saved, before we were uh, declared righteous, we were under sin. It seems like we were under this ruling power of sin. We were under this ruling power of evil. No matter what we tried to do, we couldn't, couldn't obey God. We couldn't walk with God. We couldn't follow God. We couldn't do what He wanted. But then when we came to Christ, man, we were given a new nature. We were born again. We became new creations. We're God's workmanship now, created to do good works. We are men and women of Jesus Christ. The old man has died. It was crucified. And we become something we never were before, new people. New people in Jesus Christ, alive with God. And so last week we ran down those, those, those very difficult questions. Man, if we're under grace, uh, do we just end up sinning? If we're under grace, should we just sin to get more grace? You know, there's a whole plethora of questions that are summarized in those few questions. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. You've been set free from sin. You died to sin so that you could live for Jesus now. You could walk in His ways, walk in His truth, obey Him. So it was, it was very strong when I, when I said, are, are we striving for Christ? We should strive for Christ, for following Him, for obedience. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be sinless. But man, we should live holy lives because of who we are, our identity. Not just a positional identity like just forgiven. We're not just miserable sinners anymore. We've been made alive. We can live for Jesus Christ. Obey Him in holiness. Well, we come to chapter 7 and, and we enter into this argument. Uh, in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, he, it's kind of like a parenthesis in his argument. Chapter 5, you are one now with Christ. You're, you're saved. You're no longer condemned. You're under grace. Chapter 8 and 9, man, you're saved. You're no longer condemned. You're under grace. You can live for God now. But chapter 7, he has to address the question, what about the law? See, he, he raised this question, he raised this issue, like uh, when he said, I think it was in, in 6.14, for sin shall have no dominion over you since you are not under law. Okay, so hey, there's people that he knows that are reading this letter saying, hey, time out, we're not under law. He's talking about the Mosaic law. What do you mean? We're not under law anymore. We're not under the Mosaic law anymore. What, what does that even mean? What does that, what does that entail? And that's why he had to say, well, does that make us lawless? Are we going to just be random sinners? Absolutely not. So, so he's running down this path a little bit more with kind of this parentheses. Let me talk about the powerlessness of the law to save you. Let me talk about the powerlessness of the law to sanctify you. Let me tell you how to live. So he starts with this, with this, this picture. Don't you know, brothers and sisters, those who know the law, that 
if, 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 if you're in a marriage, you know, as long as you're married, you're, you're together, it's a law. And, and once that, that one person dies, then that other person's free to marry someone else, no longer under that law. Well, think about it this way in verse 4. He's trying to bring out this idea that you've been set free from the law. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law. Now, in chapter 6, you died to sin, the ruling power of sin. You're no longer under the reign of sin, the authority of sin that used to rule over you. Now you're no longer under law because you've died to the law. There's still the Mosaic law. It's still what God wanted to be. But now as Christians, you are no longer under it. Why, why, why would he say that? Well, he uses another analogy here. Back in chapter 6, if you were last, last week, we talked about the analogy of slavery. You used to be slaves to sin. Now you're slaves to God. Well, now he uses another analogy. You used to be married to the law. Now you're married to Jesus, as it were. A metaphor. You died to the law through the body of Christ. When you became a Christian, when you were baptized in the Christ, when you went through the, you know, your conversion, your baptism, you became part of the church, you were united with the body of Christ, spiritually and physically, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. You've been brought into union with him, almost like a marriage. That's how deep it is. That's how incredible it is. You're not your own anymore. You belong to Jesus. So you, you, you died to sin, now you've died to the law. Why? What's the big deal? Well, when you lived under the law, what was the consequence of that for most people? You broke the law. You disobeyed. You bore sin to death, it says. The fruit of your trying to keep law by your own power was death. Nothing wrong with the law. He's going to say this over and over again. There's something about us. Or, look more closely, while we were living in the flesh, verse 5, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, our work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, uh, this, this is incredible. I, I spent much of my week thinking about what flesh is and, and what, what this entails for us. There, there's really three ways to describe flesh. Uh, one way to look at it is that uh, back in chapter 5, uh, when we were in Adam, we were in the flesh. Go back and read Romans 5. In Adam, it's kind of this other realm of, of fleshiness, of being outside of Christ, a lost person. There's another way to look at flesh that, uh, you know, maybe the old man died, the old, the old nature died, or we, we died to the old nature, but somehow flesh is still around. The sinful nature, some people would say we're two natures. Old man, new man, regenerate, unregenerate, there's still part of us that's tied to the old. Flesh. Others would say a third view of the flesh is that uh, we are new people now. We're alive in Christ, but we live in these bodies of death. We don't have two natures, but we're part of this unredeemed body that one day will be redeemed at the resurrection when the last trump sounds and we're made alive. But right now, we, we live in these, these, these bodies that have tendencies towards sin and they, they tendencies towards lust and tendencies toward greed and self-centeredness, the flesh. It seems rather obvious to me if you went through chapter 6, 
uh, that, that one prominent view here in this section, it might be different in other sections, but the way he contrasts the new life in Christ with what we were. When you were in the flesh, what, what, what did you bear? You bore fruit to death. And how, but, but what about the law? Why, why, what's the big deal about dying to the law? Well, the deal was, before law came, we didn't really understand sin. We didn't really understand, before there was a law, how do I know I'm sinning? But when the law came, the way that the ESV says it, our sinful passions were now aroused by the law, like, oh, um, I shouldn't covet? Coveting's wrong? In our flesh, what did that do to us? We started to covet. <laughs> we coveted more and more. Or you shall not steal. Well, then when I, when I realize that's a sin, there's a part of a fallen, fallen nature, a fleshly nature that says, oh, that's, that's against the law? I'm going to break that law. So that's what Paul is meaning here, like in, in terms of dying to the law. Uh, when the law came, it, it stirred us up. As lost people, if you want to take that view of this passage, as lost people, we bore fruit to death. But now, again the contrast, verse 6, but now, in Christ, we've been made alive, we've been made new people. We're no longer the old people we were. We are released from the law. Now, how, what, what in the world? Well, I think what he means is we're released from the law in terms of seeking our justification. We're released from the law in terms of seeking to save ourselves by our works. We're released from the law in terms of seeking our sanctification through the law, as if we could make ourselves sanctified and holy by keeping the law because we fail again and again and again. Having to die to that which held us captive, so we serve in the new way of the Spirit. The new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Paul's, Paul's getting a parenthesis here. He's saying, hey, what about the law? Let me talk about the law. And when you were in the law, it slayed you. It killed you because you couldn't keep it. It, it wasn't the law that was the problem. And that we've got to see that in the next section. It was really sin in you that used the law to kill you. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? He keeps with these rhetorical questions back in chapter 6 and now 7. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Absolutely not. No stinking way. It's not sin. Well, tell me, Paul, what, what, why, what's the problem with the law? Well, it's not a problem with the law. It's a problem with you and sin. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, you see, he's personifying sin as a power of the old age and of this age. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments, through the Ten Commandments, through all the other commandments, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, especially the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. For apart from the law, sin lies dead, so to speak. Even, even from Abraham to Moses, before there was a Mosaic law, there was still sin, but it wasn't recognized as sin. But then, verse 9, it's almost like he, it's an autobiographical moment for Paul, and we don't understand what, where he's going here. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life 
proved to be death to me. Uh, there's a couple options there. Maybe at his bar mitzvah, when he turns 13, maybe he became a man, so to speak, in the Jewish culture, and, and he realized he was supposed to keep the law. And suddenly he realized the weight of the law, and suddenly he realized, I, I'm dead. I have, no way of li- I have no way of keeping the law. Or maybe, maybe it was later in his, in his Pharisaical days as, as, as a, a Jewish man. Maybe there was a conviction of sin that came upon him. He thought he was righteous. He thought he was all that. He thought he was full of himself. But then uh, the Spirit convicted him of his sinfulness, and he died. Now, in Adam, we all are dead spiritually. We we're born into sin. We we're born into death. But he's saying there, maybe there's a moment when we realize the weight of the law and that we're hopeless in keeping it. But again, who does he blame? Does he blame the law? Absolutely not. Verse 11, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. <laughs> see, see the, the sin used like the law is a, is, is, a, is a bridge to destroy us. An opportunity arose that the sin used. So the law is holy. A commandment is holy, the 10th commandment, it's holy and it's righteous and it's good. So Paul's not saying there's anything wrong with the law. It's just in us, in the flesh, in our brokenness, and however you look at flesh, is it, is it part of the old realm or is it here with us now? Is it in this body of death? If we try to live by the law, in terms of helping, uh, making ourselves righteous in God's sight or earn salvation, Sin will kill us every time and will fail every time. The, the question, can we be a holy people? Can we be a righteous people? You know, reading through this, it's like, well, it seems awful tough. So the law is holy, the command is holy and good. Then, then he asks the second question. Did that which is good, the law, the commandments, bring death to me? You could say in one sense that when the law came, before there was a law, I couldn't be accused of sin. But now that there's a law, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so, it's so transparent that I'm a sinner. And in a sense, when the law condemns me, yeah, it, it brought death to me. But Paul, that's, no, no, that, he's like, he says again, by no means. The law is not the problem. It's a problem if you want to use the law to save you. It's a problem if you want to use the law to sanctify you, but there's nothing evil about the law. It's not a murderer. What does he say? It was sin producing death in me through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so it reveals who we are. The law reveals us as sinners. Like, the, you know, if you show the gospel to somebody, you can ask them, hey, have you ever lied? And they'll say yes. Have you ever stolen? And they'll say yes. Have you ever lusted after someone? And they'll say yes. And so you, you can say, hey, it means you're a liar, you're a thief, you're, you're, you're an adulterer or whatever. Well, where does that leave you? It leaves you dead before God. You're a sinner. And what happens to sinners? They go to hell. So as you show the gospel, the law is very good at showing us as broken people that need grace, that need forgiveness, need salvation beyond ourselves because we can't earn it. We can't make it. We can't overcome sin. And so we move into verse 14. 
And this, uh, the, the, the verb tenses change from old, past tense to present tense. Uh, Paul, Paul comes at us here, and it's this for 2,000 years. This has been one of the, one of the if you look up uh, problem passages in the Bible, verses 14 through 25, they always come up. For 2,000 years, the church has gone back and forth. Is, is this a believer? Is this a lost person? Who is this? The early church said it was a lost person. The reformers said it's a believer. Through, through the centuries, it's wavered back and forth, back and forth. So I'm going to fix it for you today. But, but think about it. So we come to this question, what does it mean to be in the flesh? Okay, does it mean a lost person? Does it mean that we're alive in Christ with this body of death, like our flesh, our, our capabilities, our, our intellect is still kind of in this, in this world in a sense and it tempts us in our person and our true identity as Christians? Or are there two natures in the flesh, like my new nature in Christ, my old sinful nature, and their arm wrestling to try to see who gets control? But let me read the section. For we know, and ask yourself, is this autobiographical by Paul or is this describing someone else? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So he's in the context of talking about the law. The law is good. He's making a contrast. The law is spiritual. I'm not. I want to keep the law. I want to do what's righteous, but I can't. He continues, verse 16, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, again, the Mosaic law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's keeping the same line from the beginning that uh, the law is not bad, the law is good, but there's this power of sin that seems to be ruling over me. There's sin within me that... And who hasn't had that experience? Anybody in this room never had the experience of wanting to do what's right, but seemingly unable to do it? Anybody uh, miss out on that, that joy? <laughs> Nobody. This is a universal Christian experience. But is that what Paul's talking about here? Our tendency to sin? Or is he talking about something else? So, verse 21, I find in the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Strange at the end there, how he, victory in Jesus, victory in Jesus, but I'm still in my mind wanting to serve the law of God, but with the flesh, I can't. Victorious Christian life. Woo, I can't. I can't. But one day when Jesus comes back, he'll raise me from the dead and I'll be holy. Um, there's, there's a lot of questions here. There's a lot of, is, this, is, this the, is this what we should take away? So there's, there's actually, there's many different ways of interpreting this in terms of who's speaking. I, let me, if I can make my memory work, let me, let me give you three and bring out, bring out some of these things. Uh, some would say that this is uh, autobiographical. It is the Apostle Paul in the present day when he's writing. This is a mature Christian, and we, we know it's a Christian from verse 21. Uh, we, we have this statement, I find in the law that I, I want to do right, evil eyes in my hand, and then verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, we, some people think maybe this is you and it's fine because, again, for 2,000 years, people have wrestled with it, trying to figure it out. Um, can an unbeliever delight in God's law? Okay, can an unbeliever, you know, like an unbeliever, like, man, I just love the law. And, and when he says his inner being, for some people that clinches it, that it's a believer. Or even at verse 14, can an unbeliever, um, can an unbeliever's, really see how bad they are? Can an unbeliever put themselves in a position? Uh, some people say this, this is the Apostle Paul, mature Apostle Paul, because it's present tense. Isn't it obvious that he's writing about his experience? He's trying to share the typical experience of Christians. He's saying, I'm one of you, brother. I know what it's like. Um, that, that, that's, that's, that's one view. Another view is that uh, this is Paul uh, personifying uh, an unbelieving Jew. Uh, the Jewish people through, through, through many centuries, um, they, they, they strove to keep the law. They, they tried and tried and tried, but they're always frustrated. They, you know, um, this is Paul saying, here's, here's some the Jewish people I know. They, 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 if they're honest and not delusional, they'll say, man, I want to keep the law, but I just can't. I'm powerless. So he's using the personification of I am feeling this, I am doing that to describe someone that's under the law trying to keep the law. He's saying, here, here's a scenario. This, this might be how we look at this. A third option would be um, this idea of maybe it's, it's a believer, but it's an Old Testament believer. You notice in chapter 7, there's really seven, you know, from six on, 7.7 7 through 7.25, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. And so in the Old Testament, right, the believers weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a, that's a new covenant thing. We're, we're baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit comes to dwell. We're the new temple of God, so to speak. So which one do you like? Which three, of the three options? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a believer that is uh, maybe a pre-Pentecost believer. Still, still without understanding of the power of the Spirit in their life. Uh, it, it's, it's radical, and it, it comes to this, this question of who the flesh, what the flesh is. 
what it's talking about. If, if the flesh is this other realm, the flesh is this in Adam kind of a person, it's an unbeliever. If the flesh is this two-nature thing, or if the flesh is this body of death, it's a believer but is frustrated. Now, you, you can find people in a church might have another view, and, that, and that's fine here, but I don't think this is the mature Apostle Paul. When I read through this section, I see a man of despair. I see a man who's, who's uh, just, he, he's defeated. And if you, if you read anything, if you read any of other Paul's letters and his hope and his joy and his peace, I, I would challenge you to find anywhere else in the Bible where there's a defeated Apostle Paul. Someone who's in despair, someone who's given up, someone who said, I, psh, I, it's impossible. If you look at all his exhortations and all his teachings, it would seem contrary that this is a mature Christian. And so some who believe it's the Apostle Paul, they, they say, this is abnormal, Paul. This isn't normal. This, this is strange. And certainly if you believe that this, this is the Apostle Paul, I want you to take that view that this is a sequence in his life, a certain, a certain point in his life. It's not normal. This is abnormal Christianity. This, this is not something that is something that's part and parcel of everyone's daily experience or normal experience. This isn't the, uh, the status quo of Christianity. This is maybe a, a certain part of, of life where he got lost from the grace of God. He got lost from the power of God. He got lost from the Spirit of God. And he got into despair because he was trying to keep the law out of his own power. And so I, I would say, if it is Paul, it's, it's, a, it's a moment in time where he's giving us a glimpse of when he failed to live by the Spirit, when he failed to hold on to God's truth and live it out. I would say, I, 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 I'd have to say this is probably a believer. And so in my, my case, I'd say it's, Paul's probably talking about an Old Covenant believer. He's, he's trying to show the... the, the because, again, with the, those arguments, I, I, I've been persuaded that it's probably a believer based upon an unbeliever doesn't know how lost they are. They, they, they can't see how broken they are uh, in terms of the relationship with God. They don't love the law of God. They, they don't have it in their inner being, being a desire. And so we see this, this man, this personification, is someone who really, really wants to do the good, wants to be righteous, but he just can't because I think Paul's example here in the text is that he's trying to live out the law by his own strength. He's trying to live out the law by his own power, his own determination, his own efforts. And we can't. And then, the, so maybe at the end, it's like, yeah, there's going to be a Savior coming, praise God, but for now, if I'm just in the flesh, I just have to get used to being a failure. And, and for me, I, man, I read, I read the rest of the book of Romans, and I read chapter 5, and I read chapter 8 and 9, I read the whole context of Romans, and I'm like, no way, this isn't normal Christianity. I think Paul writes chapter 7 as a warning to us. Don't go back to the law. Don't seek to be justified by law. Don't seek to be sanctified by the law. Don't, don't seek to live out the law, the Mosaic law, which you've been delivered from your new covenant believers. Don't seek to go back to that, but now live out your faith in Jesus Christ by the power of God. Let me explain. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
right? That goes back to chapter 5. We've been justified, chapter 3, 4, and 5, we've been justified in Christ. We've been declared righteous through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. And while we're still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. He condescended. He came to save us. And now in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, the power of the Spirit has set you free from the power of sin and death. Through chapter 7, the power of, of, of sin and death is so strong. In Christ, you've been set free. By the Spirit. Then verse 3 says, For, an explanation or a consequence, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So he's going back. This, he, chapter 3 is kind of like a summary of the whole chapter 7. The law can't save you. The law can't sanctify you. You need another power. You need God to do that for you. By sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that sin that had ruled over us no more. No more. He condemned sin in the flesh through his body of death. It's, it's a rather deep understanding of the atonement, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate at the Lord's table. His sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice he became like us in the flesh, in this body. And so I, I would say that we're one person. We're now in Jesus Christ, but we still dwell in these bodies of death. We still are tempted by these physical bodies that are in the habits of the old ways, habits of living unjustly, habits of living lustfully or hatefully or greedily. We have to fight against these bodies, these temptations that come our way. But he's saying, man, he condemns sin in the flesh. By dying for our sins. He took our sins upon Him so that we could be forgiven. And not just forgiven. We've been united with Christ. We've been brought into this relationship. We've been made new people. In order, again, another explanation. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wow. Uh, we who trust in Jesus, we are declared righteous. It's as if we kept the law. Well, it's not through our power, not through our strength. It was reckoned to us. The righteousness of Christ was given to us. His perfect righteousness accredited to our account. Our sins accredited to Him, and He died for them. I mean, there's, there's some depth of theology here that's incredible. The statements of who we are and what God has done for us. Who walk. Now, this is important. Who walk, who live a life. He's talking about the believer in Christ now. You who have been forgiven. You who have been made new. We who walk, not according to the flesh. Not according to the flesh anymore. Now, does that mean we're not going to be tempted? Of course not. The, the Lord's Prayer, remember in Matthew chapter 6, 12, forgive me my debts as I forgive, as I've forgiven my debtors. That's like a daily prayer. We're going to still sin, and we're going to still need to ask for forgiveness of sins. We're still going to need to come to confession to the Lord all the time. But we're not enslaved to the flesh anymore. We're not enslaved to sin anymore. We're not enslaved to the law anymore. We've been set free from all those old powers. So we walk in the Spirit now. 
Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're spirit-filled people. We're spirit-animated people. We live God-given, God-glorifying lives, not by our own strength. You go back to the law, you're going to fail. You go back to trying to live it out by yourself, you're going to fail. We live by the power of the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, verse 5, another, man, these conditional sentences just keep coming. These conditional statements keep coming. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I think he's moved back into talking about flesh as part of the old realm, the old Adam, the old way. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. The old man, we died. We were, the old man was crucified. Now we've been new, made new men. We've been regenerated. The old man, the unregenerated self, cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He's, he's saying the same thing again and again to draw home a point. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So he's making a very serious contrast to be in the flesh. And if this is lends support to 7.14. The law is great, but I'm in the flesh. 7.5, man, when we were in the flesh, when we were lost, when we were unregenerate, if you're in the flesh, in one sense, you don't have the Spirit of God. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, you're not, being live, you're not being driven by the flesh or living a fleshly existence anymore because you've been born again. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life is life because of righteousness. The spirit of God, of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. Because Jesus rose from the dead, one day if you're in Christ, you will be resurrected to life. Praise God. We have been set free from sin. We've been set free from death. We've been set free from Evil powers that ruled the former realm, the former age, and Adam now are in Christ. United with Christ, married to Christ, as it were, slaves of God. Now we belong to Him. Who are you? Who's your identity? Are you just that old man, that old sinner, that old woman who just can't stop sinning? Or have you been made new? You've been made new. So he moves into some exhortation and some application in verse 12. So then, brothers, he's talking to Christians. We are debtors. We have an obligation, in other words, not to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. We don't need to be obedient to the flesh. The unstated second half of that equation is we are obligated to the Spirit. We're obligated to God. We're obligated to walk with Him and obey Him. For... If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. My brothers and sisters, this is an incredible passage with, with many layers and much complexity. But at the end of the day, you are not enslaved to sin. You are not just a miserable sinner who just is, can do nothing else but evil. 
You're not somebody that is, is just in this, this lifetime of, of failing again and again by, uh, because you can't keep the law. We do because I think the way to explain it is we have these bodies of death. We are tempted. We can choose not to live according to who we are. We can choose not to live according to the Spirit's promptings. We can rebel, and we do. But who you are in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you and I are called to be holy people. Can we be holy people? Not perfect people. Not never sinning people. But we can live holy lives by the power of the Spirit. Brothers and, brothers and sisters, do not look at Romans 7 as, yeah, I'm, I'm just... Uh, that guy was defeated, and that's just that, that's my life verse. Or my life verse is, is 1 John 1 9. Man, if you, if you, if you, if you confess your sin, you're, you know, you'll be forgiven again. And that's all I do is confess sin. No, that, that's that mentality of death. Move beyond that. Walk with the Spirit. See, the Spirit, it, there's two ways to go here that's, that's wrong. You could say, I'm going to let go and let God. If He wants to make me holy, great. Or you could go the other way. You could say, <clears throat> I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to live by the law. No, we, we go the middle way, kind of a, a narrow walk. That God calls me to holiness, and so I'm going to choose to live out my life by the power of the Spirit. God is working in me to do what He wants to do, and so I'm going to choose to live holy life. That's what we're called to, brothers and sisters. May we be a people of holiness. Who's, who's able to make that happen? The great I am. All things are possible with him. And as we choose to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we'll be surprised maybe one day when we are holier than we once were. What are we called to? We're called to be holier than we were yesterday. We're called to be righteous, more righteous than we were yesterday. Will we not Will we arrive at perfection in this life? No. Brothers and sisters, let's strive for holiness. The, the lesson of chapters 6 through 8 is you're not in the old realm anymore. You're not under those old powers anymore. You've been made alive. You're a new person. You've been born again. You're God's workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus to worship Him, to live a life of godliness. Now let's do it to the glory and honor and praise of our Savior who saved us. Please stand in the Lord's presence. Our Lord God Almighty, we, we come to your scripture and, and uh, the depth and complexity of this, this, great, this, this great book of Romans. And then for us to try to understand uh, it in, in, a, in a comprehensive way, Lord, that, that would only come by your spirit giving us illumination and insight. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the positive statements, the commands, the teachings, the call to righteousness. And, and oh great I am, we ask that you'd give us the, the grace and the power to now live it out, to be men and women of God. Lord, you know the world we're in. You know the temptations that come our way. You know the lies, the deceits of the enemy, how Satan would pull us away from you. So we ask, oh Lord God Almighty, you give us grace upon grace. You give us, you give us, Holy Spirit, you give us your desire, and then you give us the power to live it out, your truth. 
You're worthy, Lord. We love you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.